You're listening to The Scrimmage with Daniel Hargrove and Justin Domashevitz. Welcome to the scrimmage. <laughs> I'm Justin Dalmashevitz. I realized, though, even with all the energy that you brought, I was the only one dancing during the intro music. That's true. You need to step up your game, Hargrove. I still got to mention it. You, you missed me during during my vacation, didn't you? I missed you a lot. Oh, yeah. We got an excellent <laughs> show prepared for you today. A lot of great and interesting topics that, trust me, oh, man, lots of stuff going on that you are not going to want to m- miss and plus, Justin, an interesting interview about a sport that we know nothing about. Yeah, I liked it. <laughs> it's going to be a lot of fun. But first, let's get it going with a two-minute drill. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Hold up. Got to hurry, got to hurry, got to hurry. Hey, two-minute situation. 44 seconds. Hand the ball to the ref. Gun duel right, gun duel right. Three jet Buckeye on one. The two-minute drill starts now. The Houston Astros held a press conference on Thursday to address their recent cheating scandal. What? Team owner Jim Crane said their position is that the team's sign-stealing system didn't affect the game. Ugh. This is bizarre. (laughs) Justin, do you agree with Crane? I do not. Also, (laughs) Crane doesn't agree with Crane because later when he he was asked... How didn't it affect the game? He said, I never said that. <laughs> I actually heard an interview with Johnny Bench on the Dan Patrick show this week in which he said, if I had known what pitches were coming, I would have batted 700. <laughs> Overwhelmingly, baseball batting is so much about guessing which pitch is coming and then being able to hit it. It's staggering to me the, pe- the amount of people that are saying, well, you still got to hit the ball. That's a stupid argument. If I hear it again, I am literally going to punch the person in the face. <laughs> Imagine what Tony Gwynn, who almost hit 400 in a season, would have done, knowing what pitches were coming. He would have batted over 1,000. <laughs> Major League Baseball has instituted a rule change that requires pitchers to either face a minimum of three batters in an appearance or pitch to the end of a half inning. Daniel, how will this affect the game, and do you like the new rule? Oh, this will affect the game massively. You will not have any more the matchup pitcher while they just bring in a lefty to face a lefty, and then a righty to face a righty, and then a lefty to face a lefty, and oh, one of those guys got a hit, so let's bring in another righty. Boring. (laughs) Exactly. When you have four pitching changes in an inning, that slows the game down so far. So I'm excited about this rule. It's a bold move, but I think I'm kind of excited about it. If you cannot really be a guy who can only get one type of player out. And I think that is very interesting. And so I'm excited to see how this plays out in reality instead of just in my head. But I think it's going to be very interesting. And you could see some more offense in later innings because of it. Because you don't have a guy who throws 100 miles an hour with a nasty slider who can only get right-handers out. And then they put the guy who's left-handed and throws 100 miles an hour and a nasty slider who can only get left-handers out. Instead, they'll have to expand their craft. And I'm excited about it. I'm excited for anything that will make the end of games more exciting. And here's another thing I'm going to punch people in the face if they say. (laughs) When a baseball person says... 
Well, no one complains when a football game takes three and a half hours. Guess what? You have 162 freaking baseball games. You can't watch four hours at 162 <laughs> games. Doesn't also, work. Also, also people, yes, they do. People do <laughs> complain about the length of football games. Former Seattle Seahawks wide receiver Paul Richardson was released by the Washington Redskins on Friday. Justin, should the Seahawks try to assign Richardson? I want to say yes. I'm excited about what he could do as a third receiver in this offense. I would like to point out he's ended the last two seasons on IR and has only played 17 games in two seasons. With that said, he's 28 years old. His last season in Seattle, he had over 700 yards receiving. He was very good. I think if he could stay healthy and stay on the field and the dollar amount of guarantee isn't too much, I would love to see Paul Richardson come back. Sports handicapper Danny Sheridan said last week that the best XFL team would likely be a 7.5 point favorite over LSU's national championship football team. <laughs> Daniel, who do you think would win in a game between LSU and the 2-0 DC Defenders? Uh, that's really tough. I want to agree with him because the, but I'm not exactly sure on the level of talent difference. Like when people talk about 0-16 NFL teams and oh, would they lose to the national championship? No, get out of here. That wouldn't happen. But I'm not positive on what the talent of the XFL is because we've only seen two games. It would be very interesting to see. I would like to think that the experience that some of these players have of playing better competition than they did in college would prove to be the winner, but I'm not quite sure. I did love an NFL meme that I saw this week, though, that said the last place NFL team should be swapped out with the first place XFL team, <laughs> and that would really, A, take out people tanking, but also make the XFL way more interesting. Let's not take ideas from <laughs> soccer. <laughs> I would like to point out... Extra long buzzer today. That was awesome. I think That's it, the normal length. Oh, it's just I, usually interrupting us? I heard many, I would. I want to say dozens of ESPN people responding to this, would an XFL team beat LSU? It's really split. Like, some people are saying one, some people are saying the other, some have really strong opinions, some I, are going, meh, I don't know. But what I would say is, basically everybody who's played in the XFL has at least had a cup of coffee yeah. in the NFL. And how many players, even from LSU's team, are going to make it to the NFL? It, maybe, of their of their 22 starters, maybe like 12 to 15. And the other thing is, then you've given guys a chance to actually like develop and grow in their game post-college. I feel like an XFL team would win that game. Absolutely. Here's, here's what I'm going to say. I think you're right that the talent... The talent pool in the XFL is going to be better in general. But right now, I would be shocked if the LSU team wouldn't just absolutely stomp these teams. Because they've played together they've so played much together and they know their systems. Exactly. And these teams, we're seeing, especially on offense, we're seeing very, very preseason looking offense. Like, that, that's an excellent point. Right now, end of the season, it might be a little different, but... Yeah. You see players still have no idea what the play is, and I think that that might yeah. play something. Like, a team that has been together for a long time and knows the system 100% might make a bit difference. Like, also, it doesn't matter how good are you are with? if you're not playing together as a team. Yeah. Like, you can have insanely good talent, but just not be The connecting. preseason offense is an interesting point to me because I saw a tweet earlier this weekend where it was saying... 
through 10 quarters of XFL action this weekend, there's been three offensive touchdowns and three defensive touchdowns. So it really, the offenses have not been smooth and productive with maybe a couple of exceptions. And not only are these teams, they didn't have preseason games. They had a few scrimmage type stuff, but nothing with full contact. So they're very early season form. On top of that, if you look at the NFL, this is something I was thinking about today. If you look at the NFL, there aren't 32 awesome quarterbacks in the NFL. Mm -hmm. And these quarterbacks we've got are quarterbacks that aren't playing in the NFL. Ooh, did you see the quarterback controversy? The quarterbacks, and well, I don't know about controversy. I'm saying that there is, (laughs) there's at least one. The, there's the quarterback, the level of quarterback play we have in the XFL is significantly lower than the top of the NFL. I, I don't know how much lower That's it is true. than the bottom of the NFL, yeah. but I think everybody agrees that there's several NFL teams that need new quarterbacks. Cardale Jones, though, bruh. <laughs> that guy is legit fun to watch. Yeah. So I didn't watch Seattle's game because I was at man. an 11-year-old's birthday party. But <laughs> I did watch Washington play against New York. Is it the Defenders and the it Guardians? It was the Defenders yeah. and the Guardians. Okay, so yeah. the Defenders <laughs> played against the Guardians. So two, two interesting things I got. Who of- should have good defense. <laughs> right. So two things I got out of this. One of those teams is way better than the other. Yeah. Because the Defenders crushed the Guardians. Yeah. Cardale Jones is a massive human being. Yes. He's yes. as big as some of their offensive linemen. He's yeah. huge. And he's also like... He's pretty The athletic. dude's got a cannon for an arm, and he's legitimately entertaining. There was a play where he was running back, and he kind of got spun down. Then he fumbled the ball. Then he picked up the <laughs> ball. And then he threw and completed a pass. Like, what? Wait, wait, there's so much stuff happening. It was so cool. Yeah. But the most important thing that happened in that game, Matt McGloin, <laughs> yes. who is the New York... Guardians quarterback who had actually played in the NFL and maybe has more NFL experience than most of the quarterbacks who are in this league was terribad. (laughs) Like we, I'm going to bring back an old word that Daniel invented from the first iteration of our show. When something is so bad that you have to combine terrible and bad. Yes. He's terribad. And it, and about midway through the fourth quarter, when they were already getting crushed, New York brought in their backup quarterback. Who? Marquise Williams. Yeah. Tar Heel alum. There you go. Who was the quarterback <laughs> of one of the greatest North Carolina Tar Heels football teams of all time, who got jobbed out of a shot at the playoffs by a phantom offside North ball. North Carolina has a kick. football team? <laughs> Shut up, Andrew. But that's neither here nor there. Marquise Williams came in, and in like the last six minutes of the game, passed for more yards in four completions than Matt McGloin had passed for the entire game. Quarterback controversy. Yeah. Another place where there should be a quarterback controversy, even though they haven't played their backup all but one snap when the starter was hurt, uh, the Seattle Dragons. Yeah. Um, this team is one and one not by the efforts of their starting quarterback <laughs> when this last game went 7 for 18 for 91 yards, one touchdown and one interception, and by the way, that 91 <laughs> yards is greatly skewed by the 68-yard touchdown pass that he threw. So without but he did that 68-yard touchdown to pass. Keenan Reynolds. But without that, he's 6 for 17 for, what, 23 yards? Yeah, it was not... It's not good. Not impressive. No. And I was kind of a B.J. Daniels guy when he was a backup Ooh, for Russell Wilson. I was like, this is the perfect style of backup for Russell Wilson. And people in Seattle are going, uh. 
BJ Daniels. Yeah, and it's like, you should give him at least a couple of plays. See if he can do something, please. And this this game actually really hurt my... I was going to make a significant push for another Tar Heel (laughs) to win MVP after what Austin Prohl did in their first game, but I think he had one catch for negative Negative one one yard. So it's going to be a tough hill to climb for Prohl to get that MVP, but I still think he could get there. He's got to have someone to throw him the ball. B.J. Daniels? B.J. Daniels? Keenan Reynolds was the stand he I think he might have yeah. been the only player with more than one catch and he had eight targets for three catches. Yeah. Eighty seven so yards. And it's it wasn't because he was dropping all the balls. It, no. It, it, <laughs> <laughs> no. Some of those I'm pretty sure were targets to him because they were like, um he Keenan Reynolds was over there. <laughs> he was closest. <laughs> I did get a, a chance to experience... I didn't really watch the first weekend of XFL because I had a lot of stuff going on we were in Seaside. But, like I said, I didn't watch the Seattle game. But watching New York play Washington, I got to really experience the first time the game flow and how their replay system assists the game flow. Mm-hmm. There was a replay. Like Andrew described this really well for us last week. And as it was happening, I was recalling this is exactly the way that Andrew described it. <laughs> yeah. The person on in the replay booth was like, okay, yeah, it looks like the ball was spotted over there. No, oh, he's, his knee was down. Okay, I got his knee down at the 40-and-a-half-yard line. Going to check another angle and double-check that. 40-and-a-half-yard line. Okay, spot it right there. 40-and-a-half-yard line. Which one? Yeah, okay, yep, got it. And the official on the field was like, boom. It felt like... Maybe because there was actually something happening and you could hear it, it yeah. felt like one-tenth the amount of time yeah. that an NFL replay takes. Exactly. Yeah. Instead of taking a commercial break and not even showing you what they're looking at. This is the rule that needs to be adopted by the NFL yesterday. Yes, <laughs> exactly. And not only that, I love having the, the officials mic'd up even before they're making announcements. Yeah. Like today in a game we were watching between, what, the Dallas Renegades and the L.A. Wildcats. Yep. We're watching the game, and there's some dispute after a call, and it was, was it delay of game or not? And all of these players run in, and they're all yelling at the officials, and they mic up the official, and so we can hear the official go, hey, 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 calm down, calm down. It was a bang-bang play, and then a renegade runs in, and he was like, you couldn't really hear what he was saying, and the official goes, dude, not even a penalty, man, calm down. And then all the players just kind of go away and the official goes timeout called renegades no flag for delay of game and you're like oh that was really cool yeah. like it wasn't to it hear wasn't... how the sausage is made exactly <laughs> it was awesome. when you hear how the sausage is made all you want to do is make sausage because it's so fun and it's delicious yeah <laughs> <laughs> no i just some of those little tweaks are really cool now andrew and i were talking about this this was an espn game that we were watching and we feel that Fox has done a better job with the access that they have than ESPN Because they have has. 100% access. Yeah, 100%. Mm-hmm. But Fox so far has tended to wait for players to get all the way off the field, for one. And for two, generally get them a chance to A, catch their breath and B, yeah. cool down a bit. The amount of times that ESPN reporters have like ran out onto the field to catch a guy coming off the field where they're still like <laughs> and, or still super emotional but that do the you comments love Diana you get Rossini, are stupid. Though? What? Do you love Diana Rossini? I think she's hilarious. Oh, I, I'm not sure oh, okay. which person you're talking about. She's but one the, of the sideline reporters for ESPN. The the reporter that were that out the two reporters that we were talking about, some of the stuff like at halftime was kind of entertaining and mm-hmm. interesting even though it felt weird. 
because it felt just, really awkward. There's a person talking to a camera <laughs> and like, well, you're looking live right near at the Wildcats locker room. And it's like, yeah, so are you. You're in the locker room. Like, it's not just the camera. Like, you're in here. But some of the other some, stuff, like people some walking linemen off in the, the field. On the bench in the background, like, wave. oh, hi, mom. <laughs> like, some of that was nice, but let the player get off the field. Yeah. Not for access sake, but for your sake, because yeah. you're not going to get a good interview. Yeah. And then B, if he was just in an altercation, let him compose himself for a right. second. Probably yeah. won't get that f bomb thrown out there. You know, <laughs> but you like, get cool stuff too with this access. Like, well, I love hearing the a conversation between. So I was like talking Landry, about McGloin earlier. Yeah, Landry Jones. Every time the sideline reporter interviewed him during the game was. Yeah, I just got to play better. Like, it wasn't yeah. the adjustments yeah, the defense was, were making. Well, no, I'm just sucking right now. What are you going to say to your guys at halftime? Nothing. It's all on me. I can't throw. Like, it was pretty cool. <laughs> well, here's part of the reason why I think McGloin needs to be replaced by Queese. Okay? Okay. Queese. <laughs> McGloin came across as a total baby. Yeah. Because during the whole game, he was complaining, and everything was everyone else's fault and not his. He's complaining to his coach, and you get to hear the actual conversation between offensive coordinator and quarterback yeah where the quarterback's like hey i've been trying to tell you for weeks that blah 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 i suck and then the <laughs> offensive coordinator's like okay i'm sorry matt mcgloin you're more important than me i'll try to do a better job yeah. but the other thing i loved was in that game when new york was just getting crushed by washington they were down by three scores late in the fourth quarter and then they do like this interview from the booth to the head coach yeah that's losing yeah and basically being like can you break down why you guys suck so bad? And have hearing that guy have to respond was so... And he handled it really gracefully. I can't remember his name. Yeah. He handled it pretty well. But can you imagine being the coach of this team when you've already seen a coach get fired after week one? Yeah. Then you're getting annihilated and then having to respond on national television, yes. here's why we suck so bad. Yeah, that's hard. I thought it was... Awesome entertainment. Yeah. <laughs> it's also interesting because the ESPN broadcasts, and I'm not sure if the Fox ones did this too, I but I don't think it. so. But they do their interviews through the same headset that the coaches are like calling the plays and communicating oh, yeah. with coaches. And it seemed really confusing. Like Bob Stoops today was like, hey guys, sorry, we're going to have to do this later. The defense is talking to me like right now. Yeah. And so they had to like change things. That Whereas, happened in that other interview I was talking about too. The coach was, was going, ESPN? hey, hey, so-and-so, you need to be quiet. Hey, so-and-so, you need to be quiet. Yeah. And then on, on Fox, I mean, this might be because Brock Heward has a relationship with Jim Zorn because he played for the Seahawks when Zorn was a, a quarterback's coach there, I believe. Yeah. But he was just like, he was like hovering next to Zorn like the whole time. Like he was hearing the play calls, looking at the play sheets, and then he'd be like, <laughs> hey, Jim, what do you think's going on with this? You know, but it was, it seemed a lot more fluid yeah. or smooth than having a guy who's on a headset and being like, uh, you guys need to use a different channel. And that was like all in live television. <laughs> so like, Hey coach, what do you think about this? Uh, hang on. I've got 12 <laughs> different voices yelling at me right now. <laughs> like, the voices in my head. Needless to say, freaking me out. Watch an XFL game. It's because awesome. even if it's not good football, it's, it is very entertaining. It's entertaining. There's a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. And I'm really, I'm really wondering as we watch it, how many of these things that we're really enjoying are going to be adopted by the NFL. I hope some of it. Yeah. Like you said with the replay you, system, I really hope so. Another major difference that I've noticed and loved is the lack of commercials. And 
when I'm watching an NFL game, I don't game, think they probably love yeah, that. Yeah, that's twofold. Mm. That's you need. I've loved it though. I know you've uh, loved no, it, but but money, part of it is no. Money. Here's the thing. That's I I absolutely reject that argument. <laughs> if you need to make more money, charge more for your commercials. Don't put more out there. To but to the point you where you're making out, that's not your, how the law of supply and demand works. Yeah, they're like yeah, you can make the are, price go up by lowering the supply. The commercials are worth more if people are willing to pay more for them. And then you can add more commercials and get more for that money. Yes, and what you're doing is you're causing, and this is what I'm saying. I agree. What happens is the commercials come on, I stop paying attention, and then I don't come back until the next commercial break has already started. During an NFL game. He's so angry. The commercials are worth less. Every episode. The commercials (laughs) on NFL games are worth less. Because they are worth less than the commercials oh, during a XFL game because I'm actually watching the commercials during the XFL game because I'm actually watching the game and the commercials aren't happening the whole time. I, I definitely have that same complaint, it's, but I, I do agree with Justin on the other side. Like the NFL is going, wait a second, they will pay us oodles of money for every commercial even if we add more commercials? Let's keep <laughs> adding more money. Right. I I I understand that, <laughs> and they will please. keep doing that until the point where they see people well, viewership dropping, and that's not going to happen well, anytime it's, it's soon. Not, and that's but thing. it is far past the point where it is making their product significantly worse. You don't now. think the, that viewership dropping in the XFL no. is going to happen anytime? NFL. No. Oh, okay. I see, the thing is, Andrew, is it's not so much the viewership that would have to drop. Well, I mean, that's what would have to happen. But what would what you're saying is the people buying the commercials would be like. Hey, nobody's watching our commercials anyway. We're not going to pay this price for it anymore. And so that's what—that's another way that that could change. Is yeah. they're like, yeah, viewership is great, but everybody's going and getting nachos during the twentieth commercial break of this quarter. That's a good point. And but I don't know if they can measure that. So I don't know if there will ever be a number that gets up to middle management and makes somebody actually change that. Middle management. It's the worst. <laughs> Seattle's next game will be at home against the Dallas Renegades on February 22nd at 2 in the afternoon on Fox. Uh, Also, they had 29,172 in attendance, which from what I've seen, other places were having like 17, 16,000, that many people. The average so far has been 17,500. Yeah, but Seattle, on their broadcast, like the commentators were like, whoa, crowd noise is making a difference in this game. (laughs) <laughs> this is bizarre. Like, and that's exciting to see. We know that Seattle loves their sports. And personally, I know a guy who's got season tickets, and it was cheap enough for him to get season tickets, A. And B, he's like 15 rows deep in the in one of the end zones. Like, he's got great tickets. I mean, this is, if you want access to be able to bring an entire family to a game, it's not crazy expensive like a Seahawks game. Were they twenty four dollars? I I heard twenty four dollars a ticket. I don't know what tickets those were, but I'm not positive. But I think under thirty dollars is insane to go to a, yeah. a sporting event in in the I'm, CenturyLink. I'm pretty sure my buddy got his season tickets for less than thirty a piece. Wow. Yeah. Did That's you guys awesome. see the nine row deep uh, snake of beer cups? <laughs> Andrew did. <laughs> yes. I, I uh, I think I shared it to our. I can't you remember. You did, I shared but it to I didn't get a chance to look it's at it. It's pretty crazy. Like I was looking that's at a it lot going, of cups. I was going, that's not beer cups. There's no way. <laughs> Everyone. There literally beer. was a snake of beer cups <laughs> that went nine rows deep. How many beers are these people drinking? A lot. 
as as I not that many people in the session prices are also (laughs) cheaper. Justin, were they getting beer cups from the next section over? (laughs) I think probably the whole stadium was. uh, The whole stadium had to be thousands of beer cups. Everybody's passing them in. They're like, look at that. (laughs) As I said during our high school broadcast this week, Justin, that's a lot. I felt like that I was, felt like I came out looking like a jerk. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Daniel and I broadcasted a game together this week in high school basketball, and it was I made a, a comment about a statistic. I think it was turnovers. That I said the, so. It was so. Montesano versus Stevenson. Yeah, and you made a comment about like twenty turnovers, like halfway through the third <laughs> quarter or something like that. And then you said that's a lot, and I laughed at you and said. Good analysis. Like you didn't look. I looked more like a jerk than you looked dumb. You you did, which is funny because you had been saying stuff about like that the whole time, and it's an astronomical amount. That's a lot. And so you said it that time, and I just pulled the like dodgeball commentator reference of that's a lot. And then I tried to keep a straight bold face. strategy, Cotton. Yes, I tried to keep a straight face and continue my next sentence, and then I just started laughing. And you're like, good analysis, you loser. <laughs> Nobody, there's no way people were still listening to that game at that point, right? Like, it yeah, was the running clock listening. had already started. Because even when the game becomes less entertaining, people listen for us. Oh. Because the basketball games we broadcast are not about the players or the coaches. They're about, they're about us. us. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so glad you came in. You guys are the worst. <laughs> All right, I think that's enough of the XFL. We we do love some of the innovations, and we're loving talking yeah. about this league, and we will more and more as the season goes on because, let's face it, spring training just started, and that's boring, and the NBA is the NBA, and they had their all-star game tonight, and I think LeBron's team won, but I'm pretty sure that's about all we're going to say about that. Well, unless LeBron won MVP, because then I'm going to dedicate an entire segment to it, but mm-hmm. I'm looking that up right now. Right now? Who yeah. won the Kobe Bryant Team award? LeBron won 157 to 155. Ooh, close one. Game leader in points was Kawhi Leonard. Lame. Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi Leonard with 30? Get out of here, Kawhi. That's stupid. Who won the MVP? 25. I'm, I'm digging for that MVP. Come on, Chief. I'm doing a bad job. You're, come on. I'm not going to blame my internet yeah. speed here at all. No, it's been really good today. MVP. Who won the uh, Kobe Bryant? Kawhi lights out from beyond the arc to claim MVP. Get out of here. Eight for four. Holy cow. Eight for 14 on three-pointers. That's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Justin, we got an interview coming up here. Would you care to talk about? I would love to. Okay, what? I want to preface this by saying... Um, Many people feel like all we do is talk about certain things. I would just like to let everyone know that we all have jobs and families and lives. And we do the best we can to cover things, but we're not going to get to everything. So I know that we have allowed people to do things like, you know, nominate athletes of the week. We ask for questions for mailbag. I would like to say that if there's any coaches out there that want to send us results of things that you have. Yes. We would be more than happy to include it in our roundup. We would love that. It is literally impossible for us to chase down what's happening in all the sports with all the schools. 
Um, our email address, if you need it, is thescrimmage at gmail.com. You can also get us on Facebook. You can get us on Twitter. There's lots of ways to get in communication with us. We had some parents and fans from Montesano Wrestling point out to us this week that, hey, our team's doing some really great things. Um, you know, it would be cool if you guys could talk about it. And Daniel, you and I are looking at each other going, well, we don't know crap about wrestling. <laughs> Not a darn so thing. we can't really talk about it intelligently on our own. Yeah. So the solution to that was, okay, well, let's get a coach on. Absolutely. So we got in touch with Montesano's boys wrestling coach, Jeff Klinger. And Montesano just won the regional championship. They had six individual regional champions, and they had 15 state qualifiers, and a few kids also qualify as alternates. So, and if you look at the score, I want to say it was like 300 to 163. The amount that they won by in the regional championship was staggering. They dominated the meet. So we had, and we'll start with this right now, we're going to play it for you. This is an interview with Montesano uh, Boys Wrestling Head Coach Jeff Klinger. All right, we got Montesano High School wrestling coach Jeff Klinger here with us. Uh, so, Jeff, it was a big a big weekend for your boys. It was a big weekend for your team. Uh, regional championship, six individual title winners, 15 state qualifiers is, is what I've read and what I've heard. So well, why don't you just give us a rundown of uh, how things went for your team and, and how you felt about the performance these kids put out this weekend? Um, okay, well, let's go back one weekend real quick where we won the district title up in Forbes, and we, we put uh, 400 points up, which is a lot of points in a district tournament. And so, you know, we, we knew we qualified 22 kids, and we were pretty excited about that for the regional tournament. But to drop 300 points is pretty amazing. <laughs> it's not done very often, and that's just, you know, our kids wrestled so well. And I think that's just all attributed to how hard they've been working, and it really paid off on Saturday they uh getting nine kids in the finals and that is so important because it really helps your seeding at state uh four, four kids from each weight makes it out of the regional tournament and uh if you're a one or two seed that means you draw a three or a four seed from another region somewhere to wrestle in your first match which you know really helps set up giving you a chance to get a medal so that was great to get nine kids in the finals uh to put 15 through and have only three seniors that's pretty special too because we're a really young team and uh you know just they're stepping up at the right time so and when you when you talk about these kids and the the winners especially is it something that you feel like they're just physically stronger and can point to the weight program in the off season or is this something where technically they're just working on everything the coaches are giving them and able to succeed that way, too, with kind of their head and their technique. Well, you know, I think it's a really good combination of both. Uh, the technique is definitely, you know, something you must have uh, anymore in wrestling. We have a lot of kids that, you know, have come through our Mad Dog program, and when you look around the state of the kids that are constantly in the finals and winning tournaments and placing at state, those kids seem to be the ones that have wrestled since they were you know, five, six years old and getting those techniques all the time. It's, uh, you, you can see kids that are not as strong as someone win because of technique. I mean, obviously strength helps when you're going, you know, uh, you're, you're wrestling just the other person out on the mat, but a lot of times there's technique that you can use to counter the strength if you if you really know. I'd say our kids right now, our, our technique has really been on point. So it's, I mean, 
I'm not going to lie, the weight room has helped us a lot in football, and it definitely helps us out in wrestling, too. So, you know, our kids are, are definitely strong. But uh, our technique has really been good these last two weekends, and we're hoping that uh, we can keep it up for one more. So, uh, you know, it's a fine line saying that you need more strength or less strength or whatever when you're talking about technique. Uh, I, we just believe that the best you feel at your weight class is where you're going to be, and your strength seems to stay with you, and you don't have to cut constantly a lot of weight. So Yeah, that's definitely that something back when I was in high school, it seemed like cutting was too much in the wrestling programs that I was around, and it seems like it's uh, balanced out now, and kids are able to keep that strength up instead of just purely focusing on what weight class they're trying to get down to. Yeah, it's, you know, it's really made a big change the last few years in, in Washington State. You know, when I wrestled, you could cut in any amount of weight you wanted to. If you wanted to lose 15 pounds on a weekend, which I saw people do, they they could do that and wrestle. Now you have different weight classes that you're only assigned based on your weight, two weight classes per week that you can wrestle. Uh, well, you get a third one because you can bump one class, but you still have to make weight at two, two of these the two weight classes that you have. And uh, it's been a lot better i think for kids because they're not constantly dipping you know a lot of people think it's the wrestling sometimes the kids don't do a good job of controlling their eating habits you know and yeah. that can really be unfortunate when you, you know, wrestle at a weight and then the next you know you come in on monday to practice and you're seven pounds overweight this kind of keeps the kids a little more balanced i think the way that this new program is set up so it's uh, definitely something that really helps i think with when you're talking about that huge cuts that people talk about, you know, in the nineties and eighties that we saw that doesn't, you can't do that anymore. So Jeff has guys here who have mostly played, uh, organized team sports and we haven't really done a lot of individual stuff. Um, I feel like an overwhelming thing I've, I've heard about your team and your group of kids is, um, camaraderie and, you know, how, how well they support each other. And I've always wondered, and maybe you can explain it to us in, in an individual sport where it's just you and someone else on the mat, you know, how does it, how does the team pull together? How does how does the team support each other to help you get a team championship in such a dominating fashion? Well, I think that when you're talking about the team part of wrestling, you know, it's really a lot in the practice room. When the kids see someone working hard at practice, they, you know, they just tend to support that more. doesn't matter if you're a football player, if you're a cross-country guy, if, you know, whatever sports you do, they come together because of the hard work they're working together on at practice. And when you do that, they're going to support you. And, you know, if you come to a tournament and you'll see our kids are down at the mat side where their buddy's wrestling, uh, a lot of, uh, you know, other teams, their kids aren't around, they're up in the stands or whatever. Our kids have really been focused this year on uh, watching their, their buddies wrestle. So uh, it's I, I think it just comes from the fact that when they're working together at practice, you respect that and you, you want to support that. And, you know, it is an individual sport. There's nothing that you know anyone can do to really help you once you're out there on the mat. Yeah, I think they'd frown guys. on that if a teammate came out and tried to help. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, it's not tag team, you know. It's not a good going here. You don't, you don't get to touch someone's hand and get some help. It's uh, a little different. But, uh, it, it, you know, when they're yelling for each other and encouraging 
encouraging each other, you can really feel it. I mean, yesterday, what was great is, you know, when Jeff Catter and I first took this over 15 years ago, we had a pretty small team. Now, you know, rolling with 22 into regionals, we had a lot of fans there supporting us, and they were up above at Oakland. And one specific match, when Augie Ergen was wrestling 170 for third and fourth, just to hear those crowd yell for him, you know, it that's that's energizing to our kids when they can hear that support. And, I mean, you could hear it uh, being down on the floor and having them go nuts. It's it's a good thing. It really inspires the kids, too. So, Yeah, I'm sure that you can even maybe get an adrenaline boost if you hear the crowd oh, yeah. really start to pull for yes, you, too. Can. Uh, we'll talk about some, some of the other kids as well and ask you about some of the other kids in the program, but okay. I was wondering if we could run through some of these regional champions and, and maybe you could just talk about uh, what you're proud of about these kids. And uh, we'll start with the little guys and work our way up. Okay, uh, sounds good. Uh, so Jacob Salstrom at the 106-pound uh, weight class. So what can you say about him? Uh, Jacob is uh, one of our blue-collar blue collar bulldogs. We started a new thing this year. Uh, and we're, we're still looking at the name because we don't like the blue, but uh, <laughs> uh, it goes to the work ethic. And he was the second recipient of uh, that this year. And Jacob does everything you could ever ask for in, in a student athlete. He puts in extra work. He's uh, a great athlete, great athlete, you know, to have coaching, but he's also a great student at the school. He's respectful, gets good grades. He's everything you want to do. He was wrestling 113 for us all year and kind of looked around and just, you know, even though he knew it was going to be a bit of a sacrifice, he, he thought he could put himself in a better position to score more team points for us at 106, and he made the cut on his own. And uh, one thing, is, it says it's 106 right now in the postseason. You get two-pound allowance since district, so it's really 108. So, you know, he cut a little bit of weight to make 106, but now he's at 108, and he's looking really good. So, uh we, we look forward to him having a chance to make it into the semis and everything goes right. And once you get there, you never know what can happen. So we're, we're excited for Jacob. He's a great, a great teammate. And uh, we, we really love having him on the team. And we get him for two more years, so that's awesome too. So, Jeff, I coached Jacob in Little League Baseball. Okay, we, we cool. used to we used to call him Jakey Poo. Do you guys still call him Jakey Poo? Yeah, I think Lucas does, but then <laughs> Lucas got to watch out because Jakey Poo can slap pretty good. So I watched those guys in practice, and uh, we got five sets of brothers on the team this year, which is another really unique thing. And That's so awesome. you get a little bit of uh, brotherly love going on up there, and it gets interesting sometimes. So well, Jacob's a great kid, and I really enjoyed coaching him, which brings us to our next one, which is another kid I coached in Little League Baseball and thoroughly enjoyed. Cole Eckerson in the 120-pound weight class. What can you tell yeah. us about Cole? Uh, Cole is a competitor, man. He does not want to lose to anyone. doesn't matter what it is we're doing. He does not want that. Uh, he's one of those kids, just like Jacob, but mad dogs. You know, these guys have been wrestling for a long time, and uh, he has been – Really, really on point this year. Uh, freshman, 120. Uh, it's right at that size where you start to wrestle some of the older kids that have been, you know, the 106s and 113s that bump up a weight class or two after they become a junior. And he's just looked tremendous. He, he only had two losses this year, and both were to really good competitors in their close matches. Um, you know, he's he looked really good, and it's not an easy thing to have to wrestle your teammate and uh you know, workout partner, which he had to do with Aaron, Aaron Leno in the finals 
yesterday. So, wow. yeah. Well, that's interesting. That'd be tough. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, you know each other's moves and, you know, <laughs> and they, you know, they work out together. They're really good friends. So it, it makes it tough, but it's also kind of exciting knowing that you both, you both made it to the final. So, uh, no, Cole's a tremendous competitor and, uh, you know, he's been great, great as a freshman. That's uh, amazing year for him so far. Really looking forward to see what he can do at state. And uh, what about uh, Cooper Johansson? Cooper Johansson, man, he's probably the the wrestler of the weekend for us. Break it all down. Uh, a little bit about his weight class. Probably probably the toughest class overall. If you go to the Washington Wrestling Report, they do uh, rankings for each weight class in one A. And at one twenty six, there were six kids ranked in the top twelve at this tournament. And so that means two of those kids who aren't going to state. And uh, last weekend, Cooper took third. He was the two seed and uh, kind of a disappointment for him. Uh, so this week, we drew a kid that actually beat Cooper earlier this year, pinned him in the tournament, and that was our first-round matchup. So he, he knew going in, he had to wrestle the number five-ranked kid, and he came out and beat him and kind of set himself up for success. You know, we just want to get him to state, but uh, after that, he got a, a little bit of chance of redemption. He wrestled. Uh, the kid from Hopeland that took first at districts and beat him. So he got himself into the finals and waiting for him in the finals is the kid that beat him in last year's district championship. Wow. So he had a chance to redeem himself. He, uh, you know, he wrestled his butt off and had a great turn that set himself up to place at state this year by being the one seed. I mean, he had a tremendous day. He just wrestled so tough. It was really great to see. That's awesome, man. Super happy for Coop. That's that's another kid I've yeah, known, I've known kid. since yeah, he, he was a little he, guy. These three that we all talked about play football, so I'm with them from August until now. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I'm with them a lot, and those you know, are three great kids. Uh, next on the list in the 145-pound weight class, Ty Eckerson. What can you tell us about Ty? What did, what did it take for him to get there? Ty, uh, same thing as Cole, been wrestling a long time. Ty was actually the first kid voted in by uh, coaches to be a blue collar bulldog. We, and, we need uh, to change it to maroon collar. Let's start a new thing. <laughs> well, we got we got a little something in the works that we're gonna we're gonna break out. We gotta get everybody to be okay with it. But uh, yeah, it's gonna be something different. That I mean, the blue collar we like it. We kind of stole it from Ohio State. Uh-huh. And not blue either, but uh, we just yeah, the kids kind of. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> we got a little something that I think is going to happen next year. We're going to change it completely. No color involved, but uh, it's going to be pretty cool. So, cool. Uh, But Ty was the first one voted by all the coaches. Uh, he does everything you ever want. I mean, he's he is a great teammate. He's a great example. He's a great role model. I think our kids really look up to him. He works hard. He's He does everything. Uh, you know, the Saucers and the Eckerson both groups of brothers they are consistently the ones that are working extra coming in and running in the morning for morning sprints on tuesdays and thursdays and then staying even though they don't have to and conditioning on tuesdays and thursdays so uh it's just you know everything you don't have to worry about ty doing anything wrong in practice or at school he's just a great example if you could get you know, 15 or 20 ties on your team, you'd be ready for a state championship because they would just work and not stop until they get with their goal. Uh, I think Ty last year, a little disappointment, not placing after placing as a freshman. And uh, he's kind of just really worked to redeem himself this year. And so far he has. He's had a great season. Uh, I mean, 
he's gone back and forth. He was he's ranked number one at 145 right now, 1A, and uh, he lost to a kid earlier from Mount Baker that was ranked number one to beat him. Next time we got a shot at him, but you know he uh, he knows that being ranked number one is just you know it's a great thing, but it doesn't guarantee you nothing. And he's not gonna settle for that. He, uh, he's had two pretty good matches in this Malachi from Oakland. At districts, we pinned him in the second round, and then this one went the distance. It was a great match. So, yeah, he's he's looking at the top of his game. So, hopefully, he can he can wrestle wrestle hard and fulfill that ranking that gets the state. And uh, the last two kids, uh, some familiar ma- names for us covering the football team and the varsity yeah, football team. Yeah, I think all of the football guys, right? Actually, <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then, uh, but these ones we. I, I kind of know a little bit more about because I've been yeah, following they, they for a little, a little more. more role. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Brent Hollitz at 182. Yeah, Brent Hollitz at 182. He, uh, you know, he's uh, a kid that did a little bit of that Mad Dog stuff, but he's also one of those guys that's got the strength. You know, he's one of our seniors, and being in the weight room for four years, that really it really helps pay off for him. Uh, he's uh, – He's never won us a state medal, which I think is causing him to have a little extra drive this year, being his last shot at it. Uh, he uh, he, it's a great kid to have on your team. I mean, he's a leader just because of the football aspect and having a lot of football kids on your team. They look up to him from that point of view. He, you know, he works hard at practice. He speaks up. As people know when they need to work hard. It, it you know, it. I wish we had a few more seniors. Yeah. <laughs> Having yeah. three is not you know, not a good choice thing you want to have in the season, but, I mean, it is nice knowing that we're going to bring a lot back. Right. Uh, Brent looked great about this weekend. Uh, he uh, stuck a kid from White Salmon in the finals, uh, and that's what we like about Brent. He's a pinner, and he gets people down. It's uh, really helpful in these tournaments. You get bonus points for pins, and uh, he does a great job of that for us. Probably a really good example of the reason why a lot of football coaches encourage players to wrestle because it really helps you on on defense. And you know, Brent was the defensive MVP of the league this past year, oh, yeah. at least in part because of great tackling skills. But wrestling teaches you how to get low, and it teaches you a lot about getting leverage on your opponent. And so I've heard a lot of football coaches, and and Jeff, you coach on the football team as well, encouraging players to um, wrestle because it really helps with that. Yeah, I mean, I think that Private Pranny set the tone for that. All yeah. the kids that didn't want to wrestle that we were trying to get saw what he did, you know, yeah. with not only wrestling, but, I mean, I think it helps you, like you're saying, on defense attack. I've seen a lot of our kids that can tackle really well because of wrestling, but I think it also helps them as a ball carrier. Uh, your balance just becomes better. I think you learn a lot of things wrestling that you can't be taught by anybody coaching you, which is the constant pushing and pulling and positioning of your body and figuring out, you know, that you can do some things. I think Carson, uh, my nephew, same thing. Mm-hmm. He didn't really want to wrestle, but kind of forced to. And I think it, you know, that still helped him learn different ways to manipulate your body when you're carrying the ball and take a hit and still sure. be able to keep going. And so I definitely say that helped Ben as well. I, I think it's, I, yeah, I mean, I think there's arguments for any sport that helps you, you know, trying to get other ones. I mean, basketball with the jumping for the receivers. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I think, I think wrestling does a great job with that as well. It just gives you a lot of things that you can't teach as a football coach to your football kids. And the last one we have, too, is another kid that uh, was a 
pretty dominant force on times at defense from uh, on and during football season for Monty. I have a cool story to go with this one because I have a I have a son that's two years behind Kenny Coonrad, who's our two eighty five uh, weight class champion. I have a son that's two years behind him in school. And during the little Bulldogs basketball program, they had one year fourth through sixth grade kids together. So my tiny little fourth grader was playing basketball on the same team as Kenny. And Kenny in sixth grade was adult size. Yeah. So he's got he was two heads taller than everybody else on the court. And it was so funny to watch him because he had such an amazing he's had such an amazing way about him that he would stand under the basket and he's in sixth grade mind you shoot the ball if he'd miss he'd rebound it because no one else could reach him he'd miss (laughs) he'd rebound it if he missed a couple times instead of going back up with the ball he would give it to one of his teammates to give somebody else a chance to shoot so i feel like i learned everything i needed to know about kenny coonrad when I watched him play basketball, but what can, what can you say about Kenny that's helped drive him even as, as a young underclassman being able to get there? Well, you know, I, I started recruiting Kenny in junior high, trying to get him out. And, uh, you know, you see it, like you're saying, you know, you're walking through the halls. I knew he was a football kid, but I, I wanted to get him for a heavyweight. So I you know, kept on making contact with him, got him to do some junior high wrestling. Junior high wrestling in that big is not necessarily fun because there's not a lot of big guys for you to wrestle, so he mm-hmm. wasn't always getting to wrestle. And uh, he even did the Mad Dogs a couple of years, but same thing. You know, there just wasn't the, the same type of kids for you to wrestle when you're that big as a little kid. So we got Kenny, uh, you know, to wrestle a lot more last year. He started to get a lot more matches, and at first he wasn't having a lot of success. I mean, it, it's tough to go and wrestling those big boys when you don't know what you're doing. And we just kept working through him and working with him and developing his skills using the – this big wrestling dummy we have upstairs because we don't, you know, we don't have a lot of bodies that big for him to throw around. I tried wrestling with him a little bit, but he squeezed me one time and hurt my shoulder, and I said enough of this. So, uh, we'll, we'll move in with the dummy and let him throw that thing around. And he started ragdolling that. It's a two-pound dummy. He'll pick it up around his head, and he's like, "Oh, I, I don't want nothing to do with that." But uh, yeah, he. Whatever, since he started throwing that thing around, he just started throwing kids around. And last year at State, he caught fire, and uh, we ended up wrestling an Elma kid that had beat us five times, and we, we beat him uh, when it mattered for the state state uh, medal. And Kenny took seventh last year as a freshman, which is pretty impressive. Hmm. Heavyweights, you know, it's just you were wrestling some grown men up there that have yeah. some serious, serious power. But so does Kenny. I mean, for a sophomore, you – He's, he's pretty phenomenal. He does a lot of things that are mind-blowing. Just be a big guy that is that big. I'm telling you right now, he can move pretty quick. He is not slow, and you can see that in football, too. But, uh, yeah, he uh, he looked really good yesterday. He wrestled a kid from Castle Rock, uh, Jonah McGarry. Uh, McGarry's brother is the starting right tackle for the Falcons and the Huskies. And that kid looks just like his brother, big six foot six kid, all 280 pounds. Kenny threw him to the mat like he was nothing. And <laughs> it's just, it's a, it's a pretty amazing thing to have a kid like that on the team. You know, and it's funny to hear you talk about basketball story because you want his best friend on the team is Jacob Saucer. Mm-hmm. So you see the one six pounder, <laughs> just like a little mouse coming up to the heavyweight. Kenny is Kenny is three Jakey poos. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's funny. So. Oh, man, you talk about the work ethic of these kids, and I think even as somebody who grew up playing basketball and played basketball in high school, you recognize the work ethic of the wrestlers. I mean, I remember one time having a break in practice, 
and just hearing the work that was going on up in the wrestling room and thinking, well, I don't want to do that. <laughs> but for, you mentioned a couple of your kids have put in even like extra work. I mean, that is absolutely amazing to me that these kids would go through what it takes to be an elite wrestler and then want to put in even extra work because they're that driven. Yeah, it's I. I mean, I, I wrestled in high school too. I, I wasn't the best. I made state twice, and I mean, I'll, I know that it was the hardest sport I did in high school. Uh, but you're right. I mean, these kids, they, I mean, they just have self motivation. The ones that are leading the pack for us, they want to be good. And I think the sport feeds that more than anything. You see your teammate get a success and place at state and that makes someone else want to do that and they want to see what they can do to get it and i mean that's the one thing about the sport i tell everybody uh you know we try to get a lot of kids out and the one thing is is you uh, unlike any other sport you'll get what you put into it you know it, you can be a great athlete and wrestle and do all right but if you don't do the extra work you'll never be great and there's no one to blame but yourself in this you, you can go to camps you can vessel extra you can work out extra and, and you can get better and you know you can see that for a kid like Kenny I mean, he's putting the time in to get better you see that with our kids that are mad dogs they put the time in as little kids and that's you know helps build their success uh, they work hard I'll tell you I no knock on basketball kids but if I had to hire someone to work for me <laughs> I knew a kid wrestled I know what they've been through if they if they uh there's some kids <laughs> their work ethic is amazing and yeah, it's not that basketball kids can't have that kind of work ethic either. I know a lot of those kids they play football for me, but like yeah. you said, the kids come in and do an extra sprints in the morning. And, you know, that's the kind of kid I want working for me if I have a business. That's right. I wouldn't hire me either. <laughs> <laughs> so this might be kind of a tough question, but uh, we've run through all the all the winners of the regional championships. But you know, you had 15 state qualifiers and a few alternates as well. If yeah. you had to pick one of those kids, that's outside the top six that you feel like has the best chance to make some noise at the state tournament, who would you go with? Well, um, if I was looking, so, or a couple, if you, earlier, a couple, if you have, when you have the, the, the way seeding goes, if you're a four seed, you have to wrestle a regional champ in your first match. Mm -hmm. So that's going to be a little tough. I mean, another can't happen last year. Jacob Salsman knocked off a one seed, uh, you know, in his second match. But uh, it, it can happen. It's not that we don't, you know, we're our kids. We want to be the best. It doesn't matter that you're on a one-seater, three-seater, four-seater. you got to go out and just give it your all. But uh, typically, that's a, it's a tough matchup, a four and a one. But uh, I think that our three-seeds with Mateo Sanchez and Isaac Pierce, they, they pose a little bit of a problem. I wouldn't want to wrestle with guys in my first match. I mean, Mateo yeah. has a lot of experience as a freshman. And Isaac is a freak athlete, and those are bad things. And I got one more one more question for you. Since we don't get the opportunity to talk wrestling that much around here, and we've talked a lot about your squad and love the insight and the stories, but can you say anything about maybe any of the uh, other kids from Elma or Hoquiam that really stood out to you as somebody who's – had a great competition with some of your guys so far this year, and it might stand out to you as a hard worker. Well, um, yeah, 
you know, I'm so bad at names right now. <laughs> uh, Trying to think of you guys, if you have the day roll in front of you, who did Cooper wrestle in the semis? The league champ from uh, last week at 126. I can't draw his name for some reason. Uh, from, was from it? From Hoquin. From Xavier uh, Garcia? Yes. Uh, he is really talented. He works hard, you can tell, from the way he carries himself on the mat. Uh, just the one thing is that we notice are kids being able to wrestle in the third round. Mm-hmm. Um, my car is turning on, so I might lose it for one second. But, uh, <laughs> sorry. That's no okay. worries. If it switch over to manual. Uh, well, we as a staff really push for our kids to be able to wrestle in the third round. It is something that you just have to do. Uh, and if you're not in shape, you can't. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if if you ever get a chance <laughs> for six minutes, you get, you know, it's just, it's a different feeling than anything else that you'll do wrestling for six minutes. Uh, just the total exhaustion that comes with that. And to be able to wrestle at a high level continuously for six minutes, you know a kid's in shape. Oh, yeah. And so I, th- I think that you can see that when he wrestles. Um, I think Malachi Eaton, he, he obviously works hard because he rolls right with Ty Eckerson. And, you know, Ty is one of the best kids on our team. We uh, we love what Ty brings. And like I said, they had a battle this week. It was a great match in the finals. So definitely think those two kids from Hoquim do a great job. And Elma is always, they have great tradition. Their kids are always tough. So, uh, you know, this year was a little bit of an anomaly for them. They're pretty young. Uh, and we wrestled them in the duel. And we were able to win every match that was contested. So, uh you know, they're just kind of going for a little phase right now with the rebuilding, and they'll be back stronger than ever, I have no doubt. So, Well, Jeff, I really appreciate that. I mean, your team absolutely dominant in this regional round, and it's been a lot of fun to talk to you. And I, and I really appreciate uh, you being able to recognize some of the hard work of, of the other kids, too, as a guy who not a money guy myself so i really appreciate that you could <laughs> speak to that because man money's been pretty dominant in a lot of things recently <laughs> yeah we're going through a pretty good run right now i mean we just have some really good kids and unfortunately for the harbor i think we got some really good ones coming up too yeah. so uh it's a go dogs good place to be right now <laughs> awesome hey well thanks jeff and we really appreciate your time this was an awesome interview good catching up with you and hopefully yeah. we can, maybe we can chat with you again after after state after the mat classic well, that'd be great thanks guys i really appreciate the chance to put our sport forward uh you know our, our kids work hard i wish a lot more people come watch them because we got some really hard workers so come up to mat classic check it out if you've never seen it it's pretty cool there's a lot of it's just fun watching all the matches at once. It's mm-hmm. it's unlike anything you've ever seen. Yeah. Right. yeah, I've actually heard that from a couple of yeah. different Daily World reporters that there's nothing quite like the Matt Classic. Yeah, it's just, a, you know, nowhere really in the country did they do anything like this. It, it may be, it, there's some discussion about if it's going to last out. They, they reconfigured the Tacoma Dome, so it's a little different than it used to be. Uh, I don't know, it. it it's not as fan friendly as it once was, in my view. Same thing with football. You know, that's why they kind of they ended that because of the way they had to set up the field. So uh, it may be a dying thing, just because I don't know if if fans are going to tolerate it. I guess I don't know because I'm all on the floor. But 
I heard from a lot of people that it was really hard to see your kid wrestle, and nobody wants that when they right. make the state tournament. So it's For still sure. pretty impressive having all those mats on the floor at one time going. It's, it's a pretty cool thing. Awesome. Again, thanks, Jeff. Thanks so much for your time. Have a good night. All right. Thanks, guys. You too. Bye. All right. That was Montesano Head Boys wrestling coach Jeff Klinger. This was an awesome interview. Seriously. So much thanks to Jeff for joining us. And, and I know that, I mean, even in that interview, I had to ask about people outside of Monty yeah. because I'm we that literally guy. literally didn't know. Though. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but what I was, ex- most of the time when we have coaches interviews, Justin, we're shooting for 10 seven, 15, maybe tops minutes. Yeah. And sometimes you have to really dig the information. You do. Out. And yeah. some coaches are better than others at talking, but we enjoy talking to coaches so much and yeah. getting them talking about their players and how much they love about them. But I just kept having more questions I wanted to ask. Yes. Because A, I don't know anything about wrestling. And B, he was so fun to talk to about the certain kids and he had something specific to say about each one i i absolutely loved it and what was that a half hour interview we could have talked to him for another half hour easy we could have yeah it was great and really i mean what we wanted most was hey give us an idea of what your team is like talk to us a little bit about wrestling and let's recognize the individual champions and we accomplished that and then we got to the end of that and we were like we kind of want to talk more, so we could have cut that interview a little shorter, but it was so great with Jeff um, that we we wanted to keep it going. So we'll continue to keep it going in our Athlete of the Week section here, because for the first time, we have a wrestler as our Athlete of the Week, and this is a rest. This came out of the interview, and you know, fortunately for me, this is a kid that I know. Yeah. But uh, Montesano Boys Wrestling's Cooper Johansson, who. Coach Klinger specifically recognized that 126 weight class, which Cooper is the regional champion of, is probably the most difficult class, and there's lots of really good wrestlers. And also that, you know, there might have been some... I think he said he finished third in the district meet and then came back to finish first at the regional yeah. meet. So, you know, being able to make that jump. Yeah, he referenced some good wrestlers locally yeah. from that weight class I think as he well. said Malachi Eaton mm-hmm. was from Hoquiam was a yeah. really good one. Um, but from the 126 weight class cooper johansson you are our athlete of the week congratulations let me tell you if you're looking to buy a home in the grace harbor pacific (laughs) county area nobody will take care of you better than the team of realtors at ole penn real estate with ole penn it's personal so one more congratulations (laughs) to cooper johansson our ole penn real estate athlete of the week absolutely it sounds like an a kid who is the type of kid you want to coach too? Yeah. Like, so I'm I'm really excited about that. That's awesome, and that interview was awesome, and it was so much fun to learn about yeah. a sport that, like you said, we know nothing about. Yeah, and Coop is awesome. He's an awesome kid. Where I this is another one. I feel like we've had so many of these instances where I go, "Oh, I've known that kid since he was knee high to a grasshopper." I literally have known Cooper <laughs> since he was like basically a toddler. Yeah, he is an awesome kid. <laughs> I taught him in Sunday school all the way through grade school, and I'm super happy to see what he's accomplished because this kid works hard, but he maintains a fantastic attitude. He's incredibly well-liked. Um, you know, I, I like to see kids with, you know, high character, um, high uh, work ethic rewarded in this kind of way, and being able to go win a really difficult weight class at regionals is a really big deal. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, really that's those are our, always our favorite types of kids 
You know, I mean, there's, yeah. and sometimes they're stars and sometimes they aren't, yeah. but those tend to be the types of kids that we gravitate towards. I had a, I actually had a, um, I used to be a children's pastor for four years and I organized a big summer, like VBS on steroids kind of thing called city kids camp. Yeah. Well, steroids. Year. I'm just kidding. It's not, baseball, it's not baseball, so it doesn't have negative connotations. Um, but Cooper, as a youth, was one of my volunteers, and I appreciated him and what he did so much that I actually used him in a promotional video nice. to try to encourage other teenagers to come help and volunteer at City Kids cool. Camp. Like That's the kind of kid that Cooper is. So for me, and I know I've said this several times with our Athletes of the Week, it's very personally rewarding for me yeah. to see Cooper achieving this and getting an honor and, you know, accomplishing something real. Regional championship in the most difficult weight class. Yeah. Cooper Johansson, again, congratulations. Regional championship of the 126 weight class. Yeah, not much else you can say about that. Just we're really excited for you and good luck at state. And hopefully we'll get a report from Coach Klinger yeah. about that Matt Classic, which is also super exciting up at the Tacoma Dome. Just a blast to to watch and see all of those matches going on at the same time. Uh, I do have, it was, to say the least, it was a rough week for the Evergreen 1A and and 2A in district basketball this week. But in the, really, the one win, I guess there's two wins. There were wins, but the only other win we had was followed by a loss. So it kind of lost a little bit of its luster. Exactly. But the other side of it is the Elma girls got the win against Kingsway. So Elma's girls are moving on to the district one, a district four championship game, and they will be taking on the center. And my two players of the game for that game were Jalen Sackrider and Callie Rambo. And both of these kids have been a joy to watch for a long time, because this is an Elma program where these kids are all seniors now that they have been starting for a long time. And so these are a few kids that have been a a blast to watch for a long time. Each of them had, according to my numbers, which I'm pretty certain I got the points right, but everything else is a little subjective at this point. I tried to do my best. But I had them each for 13 points, which led their team. I had them each for nine rebounds, which led their team. Then Jalen Sackrider I had for five blocks, and Callie Rambo I had for three steals. So, I mean, stat stuffers. Yeah, excellent performers (laughs) and kids that, again, I love watching because they are so, their their effort that they give every game. And this was a rough game for Elma because they started off, I don't know if it was rust, I don't know if it was adjusting to new injuries that have happened, but for some reason, this is a team that could, that scores a lot of points usually, and they were only up 14 to 10 at halftime. Mm -hmm. And those two kids specifically, stepped up in the third quarter where they really turned things on offensively. And Callie had eight points in the third quarter to lead the team. And Jalen had six points in the third quarter right behind her. And so those were the two catalysts to like, all right, we got our offense going. Let's go cruise to a win now. Right. And, you know, Lisa Johnson, who's the head coach of Elma Girls, has been the coach there for quite a while. They've had a tremendous amount of success with her as coach. I mean, it's really been perennial contenders and occasionally you've had teams that really make a push so last year they had a great state run right yeah right so i i mean you know hats off to lisa and the job that she's done in elma and for these girls for working so hard and getting to the point where they've got a chance to earn a state berth Mm -hmm. and in in the other win that we had before monty followed that up with the 
tough loss to the center. Uh, Montesano's girls beat Stevenson, mm-hmm. and our player of the game in that game was Zoe Hutchings, yeah. who had an excellent game. 18 in that points and 12 rebounds yeah. for Hutchings in that game. Her last game, she's a senior, that was her last game at the bow. Um, I felt like she... I can't even hardly express in words how impressive she was because not only did she completely control and dominate the paint, she showed such a wide variety of ways to score in the paint. You know, there's many times you watch a kid and they have one or two moves. She had so many different moves and there was one play where she did a move on top of a move. Yeah. I mean, I was... You don't see it too often at that level. Like the amount of skill... You know, she she is six foot three, and it's easy to look at Zoe and her stature and go, okay, well, yeah, you should dominate the paint. But there's so much more to Zoe as a player because she is obviously well coached. She has obviously worked incredibly hard to get where she is skills wise. And so the thing I took away from that the most, and I've watched Zoe play uh, a number of times, but I think. Over the body of work now, you know, we look back at when kids are seniors and their their last year is winding down, we look at the body of work, and she had about the toughest possible task following multiple all-state yes. selection yeah. Jordan Spradlin, who I maintain is probably the best girls basketball player I've watched in our area. Yeah, Absolutely fantastic. And she had the, the task of following up Jordan. So... At the same position. At the same position. And there had been many times where I've heard critical things about Zoe through her career. But it's impossible to follow up Jordan. It just, it, nobody was going to do it. Yeah. And Zoe's been fantastic yeah, for Monty basketball. So to be able to follow up someone like Jordan with someone like Zoe, who has all these skills, has worked incredibly hard. And like I said, there's a lot of ways to score in the paint. She knows all of them. Yeah, absolutely. Can't agree more. Uh, so that's a little bit, uh, I guess a couple other things to note with uh, district basketball. We do have a lot of teams in districts. Yeah. Aberdeen, they had a play-in game and they lost in overtime. Yeah. I mean, just an absolute heartbreaker. They went to overtime with Woodland. That's the Aberdeen boys team. Just tough. I mean, we were both definitely rooting so hard for that program and for that team to get into the tournament and then have a chance to make some noise, but they fall into overtime in just a heartbreaking fashion, I think by three or four points yeah. in overtime after pushing it to overtime with a good comeback. So that's tough to see. Um, in boys 1A basketball, the Hoquiam Grizzlies fell to Kingsway Christian. The Elma boys basketball team fell to La Center. And uh, Forks also from the Evergreen, they lost as well. So those, those are the two, three, four seeds all lost in the first round. Our best hope, we thought, was the one seed going against the four seed. Uh, that's Montesano's boys team against the four seed Stevenson Bulldogs down from down south in the Trico League. And that game went to overtime in a thriller as well. And as well, Montesano was not able to come up with the win in that. So the Evergreen won a 0 for 4 in that opening round against the Trico. So that's tough to see. Yeah, I know. I think we knew uh, going into this season that it was a rough year for our league. And the Trico the was good too. League, and that yeah. the Trico was good because, you know, we went into it already not knowing what it was really going to be. And then we had between three schools, five players right off the bat who would have been some of the best players at these schools, either yeah. out for you know, ineligibility or injury or just decided not to play. Yeah, and it's continued. I mean, we've heard of a couple, I mean, 
Like I mentioned with Elma, their starting point guard, yeah. Lisa's daughter, is out with a knee injury now right. for the rest of the year. It's been and a rough then, year. And then Montesano loses one of their best players to a wrist injury. Right. So we so knew... It's been terrible. That was on the girls' side, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, we knew on the boys' side going into the season there was uncertainty. I think we all kind of knew... The Trico League was stronger than the Evergreen League just by using transitive property to look at who's played who, and this is what happened. I was still surprised to see Stevenson come out on top of Montesano just because of the way Montesano's boys team has been playing like really clean basketball. Like yeah. they've been playing they've been developing as a team throughout the course of the season. They went undefeated in league. I thought they would come out on top, but they still have a chance. To fight through the other side of the bracket. And, and I do think that after this next matchup, if they are able to take down Elma, which Elma has proved yes. that they are a team that has right. improved so much. So I, I do strongly believe that of these four Evergreen 1A teams, anyone could beat anyone on any given night. Absolutely. Yeah. And I would think that their next attempt at a Trico team will be much better than their first attempt mm-hmm. because of that different speed that sure. you haven't seen for a long time. I mean, it's a different level, not only because that those Trico teams are really good this year, but their league's good, and so every matchup that they had was probably at a different level than the Evergreen this year, right? And then you get into playoffs, and I've said this all the time, JV to varsity is a different speed. Varsity to, to a district playoff game is a different speed, and you have to adjust to it. And so now that they've had that opportunity to see that speed, also with a different opponent, I think that the Evergreen teams will have a better shot, especially probably Monty and Elma, mm-hmm. at the next Trico team that they take on because they felt that now. And so they can be like, all right, this is what we're dealing with, and there won't be any shock factor to it at all. Um, and then from district to state is also another level. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we've seen different, like with Monty, different kids step up and score points on different days. I think actually, I don't have the stats and in front of me, Trace but I think Ridgeway. Trace Ridgeway had a really good game. Massive game. And the yeah. loss. I think 23 points. Sure. Yeah. And we've seen, you know, Carter Olson step up and lead them in scoring. We've seen Cole Daniels step up. We saw Braden Dorman step up and score 24 points in a game a couple weeks ago. Wesley I mean, Bjornsgaard. Wesley Bjornsgaard, who's a freshman but a freak athlete. When they were making their push in the fourth quarter to tie it, he scored six straight points for mm-hmm. them. I mean... I've said this multiple times. That dude does not look like a freshman. Yeah. <laughs> he, they didn't grow freshmen like that when I was a kid. I mean, holy cow. Didn't you have a kid a kid on your team that was like six foot ten? Yeah, but that's true. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> the thing is, is there's six a difference. Six foot ten was shorter back then. No, six foot ten. <laughs> well, he was I, six foot ten, but he had to walk to practice uphill yeah. in the snow. So I love Ted. <laughs> But Ted was the gangly 6'10". Wesley Bjornsgaard is 6'3". And every it, it's I have to reset my thinking every time because I'm like, okay, freshman 6'3". And I look at a certain kid and I'm like, that's probably him. And I'm like, no, that's not him. But that kid looks younger. But Bjornsgaard is not just 6'3". He's ripped. Mm-hmm. He is like built. He looks like somebody who fits his 6'3 body. It's not like a weird gangly kid here like, wow, you grew nine inches over the last month. That's what surprises me more about him is how he like he fills out his athletic stature well, at six three. I just hope he continues to play and produce over the next few years because I want lots of opportunities to say the name Bjornsgard. It's amazing, isn't yeah, it? It's really cool. I hope we're saying it right. I think we're saying it right. We might have to ask him. But if we go, so this is money, and they have lots of different kids that can can contribute, and we yeah. do firmly believe they'll play better than they did in this last game. But with Elma. 
you got a kid like Sawyer Witt who can go 10 for 13 on three-pointers yeah. on any given day. Good like, night. You can put somebody down just with that. Yeah. I mean, so I, I think, like I said, anybody of these four can beat anybody. Exactly. I absolutely agree. Uh, well, Justin, now we uh, come to an interesting part of the show, of talking about one of those district teams in that program. And this is a tough situation, to say the least. And I think what we've talked about it a lot off the air and to try and figure out where to go, I think, exactly with this topic. And I think what your main thing was should be the main thing that we focus on in this situation. And that is there are no specific bad guys in this situation. We are not trying to point out blame on any specific person. I feel like if you go through any organization, like you go to any school, I've been through the years that I've been working for the daily world or the Vidette or any, any number of media outlets that I've worked for. I've met a lot of people in athletic programs in high schools. These are good people. Yeah. These are good people who care about kids. They care about the program. They want to get the best out of kids. Absolutely. So sometimes good people can make mistakes or just do something that's not success. Like good people can fail and that doesn't make them a failure. Yeah. It means that you did one thing that was not quite as good as what it was possible. Yeah. Or something escalated. Right. That, you know, is hard to keep track of. So I would encourage everybody in the situation to not look at it. And actually, you know, you and I, there's tons of information that we know that we're not going to talk about. Yes. We, you and I have spent hours talking to many people over the last couple of days to try to figure everything out. And I feel overwhelmingly like the sentiment is they, they like each other. They, many people feel like something was done that was wrong and things were not handled in the most appropriate way, but that people aren't holding hostility. Like, Oh, I hate that person. Yeah. It's just not, that's just not true. That's, that's true. And I think that's kind of impressive Yeah, to be, to be honest, because it would be very, it's easy to blame easy somebody and make them the bad guy. To blame them and then attack them personally. Right. And that is the thing that I'm most impressed with and happy about is that I have not heard any personal attacks on yes. anybody. And now we've danced around it. And we've danced around it. So let's say what it is. And it is... <laughs> it's the, uh, the Hoquiam boys basketball team. They had a game against Kingsway Christian and they were without a number of players because there was a protest, I guess would be the best way to say it, mm-hmm. of an assistant coach that was dismissed by the administration. And in protest of that, uh, a decent amount of players did not go down there. And so I think they had seven or I think seven kids maybe eight kids that played in that matchup. And uh, that is the situation that we're talking about. And it's tough on so many different levels to talk about something like that. But I think that, I mean, there are some different circumstances that went on that, that led to this. And it it's hard to see a program, especially a program that I personally care about, have to go through something like this. Yeah. And, you know, like I said, in all the time that we've covered sports, we have relationships with these people. Yeah. And at least in part, that's why 
it's been so it's been so easy for us to get information, mm-hmm. but it also makes everything so much more difficult because. I mean, these are people I like. These yeah. are people that I care about, Absolutely. you know? And sometimes people you like and people that you care about don't do everything perfectly right. Mm-hmm. I don't do everything perfectly right. Neither do I. And I can look at this situation that they have and, you know, it appears there's a culture issue mm-hmm. in the Hoquiam Boys basketball program. It appears there's some division in the team. Yeah. It appears that it was not addressed properly or quickly enough. But there's lots of different reasons why that could have happened. If you look at the whole situation from beginning to end, there's a dozen different things that any person or group of people could have done to try to make the situation better earlier so that it didn't get to this point where players have decided their only option to make things better with the division on the team was to abstain from joining the team on the bus to go yeah. play in a game. Yeah. And it is really unfortunate. I would I, w- I have two main takeaways from this. One is my one of my general life philosophies is I really admire people who stand up for what they believe in even when it's difficult. Yeah. So to the group of kids that has decided, "Hey, we're not happy with the way things are going." They got together, they talked about it. I'm not going to say that they handled everything 100% correctly. But I do admire the strength and the courage that it takes to get together and stand up and say, hey, this is not right the way that things went. Yeah. On the other side of things, there's a person that I have had a great relationship with in the head coach, Curtis Eccles, who I admire Mm -hmm. and I believe to be a good coach, a good person, a morally upright person that, yeah, you know, did... The coaching staff handle everything perfectly throughout the course of the season? Probably not. And I think if you talk to Curtis, he might even say, hey, yeah, I might have been able to do things a little bit differently. Yeah. But I do believe in his ability to recognize, you know, here's the situation. Here's what can be done better. Let's write the ship. Exactly. Let's make this better. Yeah. I, I think that's that's 100%. Like, I, I'm not sure what else you could you could say about that. And like you mentioned, we have relationships with... I mean, everybody we cover and we, we get to know these people and we talk to them and we, that is why we are able to talk to so many different people about one issue like this that, you know, maybe in some other circumstances, people won't answer you back or won't text you back or anything like that. And I got to say that people have wanted to reach out to us because I think they feel like they do care about what is going on with Mm -hmm. the program. And I think that, and again, like I mentioned, and like you mentioned before, there has not been any personal attacks from any side of this story that we have heard. And that is impressive to me. Um, We were able to talk to Coach Eccles. And the one thing that we can take away from that is that he said that he was against the coach being dismissed. That's really the only thing concrete quote that we can go with right now like we said we spent over the last two days we have spent hours and hours and hours talking to people and trying to get different perspectives and different sides and what's going on with this but i think that is a very uh concrete fact that that should be released absolutely well you know noting that the administration forced 
Curtis to make this decision and not wait till the end of the season to address it like he wanted to, but you know, make this decision now to dismiss this volunteer coach. And, you know, I've had communication with this coach and I know he definitely feels that he has been unjustly dismissed. Yeah. And I think at least it's evidenced by the fact that these, this handful of players, you know, for maybe for lack of a better word, boycotted that game. Yeah, and they believe the same thing. Decided that they were going to support him. Yeah. Not, and, and it's, I could understand also how it would be perceived possibly as um, them doing something against their head coach. But I think the issue is deeper than that, where, you know, because of the division in the team, because of, you know, some accusations of rough practice, you know, there's been some things that have happened without going into too much detail throughout the course of the season that there's a division, there's a wedge between two groups of players, and... I don't think it necessarily is um, an indictment on Curtis as a head coach that these players, I think it probably hurts him. Yeah. But I don't think it's them necessarily saying, hey, we don't stand behind our coach. It was saying, hey, we want to stand up for injustice. Yeah, absolutely. And And it's hard. Sports a lot of times has blurred lines with physicality. Right. Uh, you, you see it in a lot of different sta- situations. This year in the NFL, there was a player who, for some reason I'm blanking on his name, but he hit Mason Rudolph with his helmet. Miles Garrett. Miles Garrett. Yeah. And Assaulted him with a deadly weapon. That would, if you were on the street and you swung <laughs> a helmet at somebody's head, you might get charged right. with that. On a football field, it's Very different. different. Yeah. And on a basketball court, things are different. And I think... I'm going to try and be as vague about this as possible because I don't want to shade, cast a negative light on any previous coaches that I had. I I will say that this wasn't when I – because I did – that's another thing I feel like I should disclose. I played for Curtis Eccles. I played for Coach Eccles when I was a senior. But I did have a sport once where I was playing – I was a sophomore and I had a, you know – a couple of different altercations. One time where I felt like I got hit below the belt on purpose during a practice. Um, and then a few minutes later, I believe it was in the same practice, I uh, got elbowed in the face. And nothing happened. And that was something that happened during a practice. And the second one, the one below the belt, I don't know if anybody between me and that senior had any idea that that happened. That was... That guy was known for being sneaky. <laughs> I'll just put it that way. But the elbow <laughs> to the face was right in front of everybody. He had the basketball in his hand. So well, I, I think I have an interesting perspective on sure. that, having feel like I've gone through that and not felt represented at yeah. that time. And that was hard for me. And thankfully for me, that was an isolated incident. Right. I don't remember another practice where something like that happened. Well, I think anybody who's coached anything yeah. would tell you, I mean, you know, maybe except for like five-year-old soccer, would tell you that <laughs> it's a difficult balance. It is, yeah. Trying to, you know, promote good relationships and also encourage competition in practice because Absolutely. you want the kids you coach to be used to and be able to deal with competition. And you you want your kids to be able to play physical also. This is an issue that we've had you know, I, I've had two kids going through basketball programs from, from fifth grade through eighth grade. And sometimes you have to tell them, hey, 
you have to adjust to how the game is officiated. Yeah. So if the other team's playing physical and the refs are letting it go, it is incumbent upon you to play that game more physical. So you don't want to just create an atmosphere at practice where when you're scrimmaging against each other, there's zero physicality. You don't want anyone to get hurt, but that's where it's the fine line. Yeah. You know, you want to encourage physical play and competition while also ensuring safety. And it's hard. So yeah. safety you know, if, and relationships. if anybody's looking at this situation from the outside saying that this is so easy to fix this problem, it's just not. Absolutely. There's so many little things that can happen and just, kind of compound on top of each other throughout the course of a season to where, yeah, there probably was a solution to this and it would have been great if it was solved earlier, but it wasn't. And this is where we are. And I think if anyone puts themselves in the shoes of the person who's responsible for the team, you have to understand if you're a logical person, you have to understand how it got there. Yeah. I know I do. I've coached a lot of youth Absolutely. sports. I haven't coached a lot of high school age kids, but I've I've coached a lot of youth sports, and I, I understand I can put myself in the shoes of people running the team and understand exactly what the struggle they had was. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think the final thing that I want to say about it is I care a lot about that program, mm -hmm. and I really hope that the ship can get righted. Right. Because it means a lot to me, and to see any program and especially people that we know and love and care about on either side, no side, whatever side, it's hard to see. And so I, I really hope that uh, the ship can be righted and relationships can be mended here because I think that's the most important part of this is the, the relationships between the people involved. Yeah. And I also think just as one last little side note, it should be pointed out that Curtis Eccles has a stellar performance record as Hoquiam high school boys basketball coach. I believe he's the winningest coach in program history. Is, is that yeah. correct? Yep. He's been coaching there for a long time and he's had a lot of success and he's had a lot of kids in and out of that program that are happy with the way things are going. So I'm not saying that as an indictment to the kids who have stood up for themselves. Not I'm saying all. that as like, let's not look at this as one little thing. Let's look at the big picture and try to have some confidence in the ability to get things right again. Yeah. All right. Uh, we are going to move on to our mailbag, Justin. And good. we have all goofy questions, we have, which is good. So, but I, first, before, before the mailbag. Okay. Hold on. Hold on. There we go. Here we go. You're going to have to restart that. But first. In the game for Stevenson here about midway through the third quarter. That's a lot. They're going with good analysis. So in case you missed that, that's me making fun of Daniel on an actual radio broadcast of a basketball game for his analysis. And I know Daniel thinks this is really funny. I do. It's so he, funny. He probably thinks he comes out of it looking a little dumb. I think I look way more like a jerk for doing that to you on the radio. It's the funny the funny thing is is the reason why I think it's so funny is because I wasn't trying to make like a good analysis. Yeah. Like I wasn't trying to say like, well, yeah, I mean they aren't taking care of the ball because blah 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 blah. It, the game was about a 40-point game at that point, and you bringing up turnovers I thought was a little ridiculous. And so I was just like, just so everybody at home knows, 
<laughs> That's a lot. Can you play it one more time? And I'll try to be quiet through it this time. 20 turnovers in the game for Stevenson here about midway through the third quarter. That's a lot. <laughs> Good analysis. <laughs> you, can hear me, you can hear me start to laugh. I tried to start talking again, and I started to laugh. Such a jerk. I'm so sorry. I, I just loved how genuine Justin's like, Good analysis. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's hilarious. All okay. right, moving on to the mailbag. Okay, so mailbag. We so the first two questions actually tie in together. I put them together in here, and then someone put a space in between them on the show sheet. Gosh. Anyway, the first part of this question comes from Josh. Oh, that was me. I'm sorry. Dang it, producer Andrew. The first part <laughs> comes from Josh, and it says. Should co-workers reheat fish in the break room microwave? No! And then you don't second, need to finish that question! As a second part to the question <laughs> comes from Francis, and it says steamed broccoli or cauliflower at work. I don't so, know. Are those bad, too? I know about the fish. Those are stinky vegetables, man. Okay. So, steamed broccoli. So, to me... The smell of steamed broccoli and cauliflower might be more offensive really? than fish in the microwave. Okay. S- broccoli well, sound, smells like feet, generally speaking. Okay. See, I was unaware of this. I know of the fish problem. I would say broccoli and smells like a combination between they... fish and or feet and farts. <laughs> it's yeah. like a feet fart. Like, do if your feet could fart, that's I, what broccoli smells like. Do they also stain, like... No. Does the does the smell linger in the microwave for three days? No. I would say no. I okay. don't think so at all. That's why I was going to say, yeah, I think you're right that they taste... They, they smell a little yeah. bit worse, but they are they don't hang around. Like, f- fish is something else. It's impressive. Like, yeah. three days later, you're like, oh, who put fish in the microwave? And they're like, oh, that was Joe two days ago. It's just bad. I think at least partly for me, this is this stems from the fact that I don't, I haven't had a coworker who was like a repeat fish offender. Okay. But I I did work with someone that ate steamed vegetables heated up in the microwave every day, and so I worked in a tiny little office, right? And this person was not an office worker; they worked out um, on the conveyor. They worked on the line, but they would come in and eat their their lunch during break time with me because we were friends. Yeah. And this person would every day for a long stretch of time, heat up stinky vegetables <laughs> and then bring it into the office to hang out with me. And while I, I loved, I love talking this, about me, but no, I don't you. eat vegetables. No, I, don't, <laughs> I don't like you that much. I like this person more than you. But the, I, I, if it was you, I would have kicked you out and said, get your stinky butt food out of here. But this person, you know, I would allow them to stay in and, and eat and, and hang out with me because I, I liked them, but I really wanted them to take their food out. <laughs> Understandable. Uh, <laughs> anybody else have any comments on that? On the food in the microwave? I, I think you should always be considerate when you're microwaving around a bunch of other people, but I think fish, fish is there's probably not a situation where that's okay and the the other vegetables i i could see it being a problem if it's over and over every day but you should be able to heat up your steamed broccoli if it's one time that's a good point because it feels like the fish is a bigger deal because it lingers like you should never reheat fish in a shared appliance Uh uh-uh because then you it probably affa- shouldn't reheat you're gonna fish get, anyway. You're gonna you're gonna get fish stench <laughs> on whatever else someone else cooks next in the microwave. Yeah. Exactly. That's probably the most important. And then you thing go in there with your chili and you get it out of the microwave and it smells like fish. Now you and have tuna like, chili. 
Ah. That's gross. <laughs> and your brain is like, I smell one thing, but I'm tasting another thing, and it gets confused. I'm not speaking from personal. Okay, I'm speaking from personal experience here. Ah. Yeah. Ah. No one wants fishy you, chili. Daniel, you work in an office where there's a shared microwave. Would yes. you like to put your coworkers on blast? <laughs> no, because... <laughs> Well, first of all, I didn't notice the vegetable thing, so okay. that's one thing. I have noticed fish, but I'm not sure who it was. Okay. But it was you definitely, would... it was definitely, that's another thing about my office, is we will talk about things. Was it Kyle? We'll it walk was into, Kyle, wasn't it? No, I hope not, because if it was, he was covering it up. But I remember we would walk into the kitchen, multiple different people, and everybody would walk into the kitchen and be like, oh, oh. Oh, who microwaved fish? <laughs> and that was like the general consensus for like three days. Okay. But no, I don't ever remember finding out who it was. Okay, so recap. <laughs> Kyle reheated fish in the microwave <laughs> at Daniel's work. Okay, got hey, it. Don't disparage the mayor's name like that. <laughs> mayor. I almost said his last name. I'm not sure I want to do that. Well, I'm pretty sure I outed it with the whole mayor comment, so... You think people that listen to this show follow local politics? No, I that's think a good they point. Don't. I think that, they don't. That checks out. Yeah, okay. All right, <laughs> next mailbag question. This from, is what this is going to be what wraps up our show. From Sean. From Sean. From our buddy Sean, who was our guest co-host a few weeks ago while Daniel was off gallivanting on vacation. Yep. Here's the question. What's better? And this is a loaded, layered question. It is. Very... What's better, beef or pork? Are we encompassing beef? All encompassing. All of beef and all of pork. So hamburger, steak, roast beef. Prime uh, rib. Prime rib. Yeah. Versus pork loins, pork Chop. ribs, pork chops, ham. bacon, ham. Yeah. Dang. Bacon, honestly. Bacon the bacon the and ba- the ham yeah, and the ba- sausage. The bacon like, is the a sausage. Is I like all of those things. I like all of the things that we've said. Yeah. Bacon is the only thing I would take over the majority of the beef dishes that we listed, though, for so pork. Does, does for that, me, it's easy. Does, uh, so is that, are you taking the beef? Over I'm taking the, the beef. If so, I had to only eat one or the other, I'll give up bacon to be able to eat brisket and ribs okay, and so what's et your, cetera. So steak. your ranking system, then, is bacon bunch of beef things and then the pork things under it so in your total conglomerate of point system here the beef outranks yeah. the pork but you have I, bacon I, can on i explain top that i mean i don't think bacon. i i don't think i even have bacon on top but bacon okay. is up with the beef it's okay. the only you're saying bacon is the only pork pork dish that it's ranks the only, with the beef it's the yes. Only contender yes yeah. I love ham. I I love bacon. I also I like actually love most ham's a little too salty for me but i do like ham yeah, yeah. so Gosh, this is a tough one for me. Because <laughs> when I go, the very few opportunities I get to go to a fancy restaurant, oftentimes I'll order the pork loin of what, huh. because really well done, like pork, not well done, like cooked too much, but like pork that is cooked correctly is so good. And so okay. oftentimes that'll be what I go with because I get much more opportunities to have fairly good steak or prime rib or that, but I don't get a chance to have a very correctly cooked pork loin. I think it is harder to cook. That makes me think cook. you're bad at shopping. I well, think, that's cooking. I feel like more pork, than anything. pork is I'm a little bit harder for me to cook. Are you saying you're not confident in your ability to cook the pork correctly? Yeah. 
That's that's okay. more my problem, okay. I think. But I don't know how to buy the pork correctly, for that matter. Okay. I don't know how to buy anything correctly. Who do you think you're talking to? I think I... Do <laughs> you, think, you think I'm doing the majority of the cooking? Andrew's the cook of the group here. I don't know how to do squat. Okay. I have a lovely wife who's amazing at those things. Can she cook a pork properly? I don't know. We haven't tried yet, Okay, so so here's the deal. This, so I'm going to have to have Courtney this cook is us a pork loin. This is why that was such a surprising answer to me. Okay. <laughs> because we eat pork chops oh really at my house or pork steaks at my house Ooh. constantly can i come over because it is <laughs> literally less than half the price of almost any steak that you buy Interesting. so you can get so much more bang for your buck if you go buy a bunch of pork chops Why than if you I buy steak steak well steak is amazing okay so yeah, th- and this is the so part. good to, i am in a way with andrew on this because i think in totality beef significantly out outranks pork but if you're talking about the best like what you were describing the best pork chops or the best pork loins or the best pork roasts yeah are better than the middle of the pack beef dishes yeah and i hmm. feel like that's why i get more often to me prime ribs at the top yeah prime ribs so good so you got like that's your number one i really love steaks there's lots of different kinds of steaks yeah. i like and maybe it's cuz i i because i Order any the few like I said yeah. the few times I've been at a fancy restaurant I haven't gotten the steak at the fancy restaurant right so that might change my opinion but as well. also let's talk about the proper way to cook pork okay yes I want to learn okay. about this are you cooking on a grill or a stove well I live in an apartment so probably a stove you could fit it you could go trick question the, grill. the only way to cook pork is on a grill no because I'm just <laughs> it's it's better on a grill. Oh, Here's what everything's I re- better on a grill. Here's what I recommend. <laughs> okay, if you're gonna cook your pork on a frying pan, okay, you need to sear it. So uh, you okay. want mm-hmm. you want it on really high. You gotcha. want the temperature on really high. Sear it on a pan, both sides until it's dark. Then get the oven on really low. Put it on a baking pan. Stick it in the oven to cook. For how long? Do you have a meat thermometer? Yes, I might have broken it. Okay. A meat thermometer, <laughs> if, if you are cooking meat, is absolutely essential. Because I 100% when agree with you. When okay. your pork hits 160 degrees... Inside, the, in the middle. In the middle. Okay. You need to take it out. Because that's how you maintain all the juices Ooh, inside of it. Juices. And then you also need to let it rest for at least 10 minutes in... Some kind of a covered enclosed, so it doesn't get cold. You have to have some kind of enclosed container. So when I grill, I have a, a meat thermometer. When my I have like these Corningware dishes that keep things really warm. So when any individual piece hits 160 degrees, and the appropriate internal temperature is 165. Okay. But it will cook a little bit more after you take it off the the heating surface. Gotcha. So what you want to do is when it hits 160. Take it out, put it in your warming thing, no matter what. Even if you're taking them off one at a time yeah. until you get them all in there. Let them all rest for at least 10 minutes, but put them in something that can keep them warm. You will have a juicy pork chop. Oh, and it's so, half the price of any steak. I'm so hungry right I now. buy my pork chops. <laughs> Here's a free plug. I buy my pork chops at Wainucci Meats in Montesano because I had bought meats from other grocery stores a lot yeah and sometimes you can still get good meats at a good deal i won't buy chicken or pork from anywhere else now okay because the chicken and the pork from wainuchi meats is so much better and it's basically the same price wow maybe a little more expensive but pretty close dang 
All right. Maybe we should get them to sponsor the show. Yeah. <laughs> well, I could talk about everybody. Everybody, when you Cooking go into Wainuchi Meats, let them know that you heard about them on for, our show and that they should get advertised. For, for Valentine's <laughs> Day. I like that plan. For Valentine's Day, I went with steak. Yeah. And I got like eight steaks for the whole family and I prepared them three different ways. Ooh. And then I grilled. So we had teriyaki steaks. Oh. We had regular steaks Ooh. that were like... Um, seasoned salt and everyday seasoning from Trader Joe's. And then I had one that I really like to marinate my steaks in dark beer. Ooh. So if you get Irish oh. death oh. and you marinate it at least overnight, it is so, it's the best steak I've ever personally made to marinate it. And then you want to just put like some regular, you know, Lowry's or Johnny's seasoned salt on it before you cook it. It's amazing. Dude, we might have to have a scrimmage steak cook off. Yeah. <laughs> Steak off. A steak off. <laughs> but we would have to... I feel like the judges should be our wives and girlfriend. As Andrew does not yeah. have a wife, but yeah. he has a girlfriend. How confident are you in your ability to cook an amazing steak? I'm not as confident as both of you guys, but <laughs> I do do a good job you with... You do do? I, yeah, I do do. <laughs> um, I already you see my it. nickname down there, so I don't think you're going to put do do. <laughs> I have been told that I do have a good sense of seasonings. Okay. And that's and, that's where I struggle. Yeah. And so I feel like that might be where I can at least make it so I don't embarrass myself. Okay. But also, I just want to eat your guys' steaks. I was going to say, why do we have to make this so competitive? Let's just get together and cook lots of steaks. There has I'm down to be. with that, too. I'm down with that, too. But people don't want to view us just eating steaks. They might watch a video of us getting judged on said steaks. <laughs> I'm down. So I your beer sounds amazing. Yeah. I usually just salt oh, my yeah. my steaks. Uh, I've always maintained <laughs> it does sound amazing, so I'm not actually attacking it, but I've always maintained that if you have to do something other than salt to your meat, you didn't get good enough meat. See, I'm really so. into marinades, <laughs> but I think actually your point is Correct. Like it, it almost doesn't matter what you do unless you overseason. If you prepare the steak correctly, you're not going to screw it up. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah. Andrew also speaking of of beer and foods. Andrew just <laughs> he fed Courtney and I an amazing stew that apparently what you say it's black butte porter. Yeah, I, it was uh, like black butte porter and beef stew. It was really good. Oh my gosh! What did I say was the appropriate internal temperature for pork? 165. 160. No, yeah. I got it wrong. Is that oh, no. high? But you remembered, so I'm it's glad. What, chicken is 165. Pork is 145. I am so sorry. So take it the off the The only one I know off the top of my so, head is... So 100 and, 140 <laughs> degrees, is take, take your pork off. off. What if people don't listen to all of this, Oh Justin? my gosh. They're going to have dried oh, out pork chops. If people are taking cooking us. tips from me, then you got issues. <laughs> You, you better got what like you deserve. People are gonna be angry with yeah. you. People You're gonna coming at me with pitchforks, burnt pork. <laughs> it won't be burnt. It'll at, just be at 160. Dry. It'll be really dry and tough. Which is why I don't. And yeah. dry, tough pork is not. No, no you don't uh-huh. want that. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. All right, I think that's gonna do it for our show today. Definitely had some ups and downs in it, that's for sure. But for our trusty producer Andrew, oh my gosh, my screen. Sorry, that's not his. <laughs> It's four. My screen went out right as I went to read the nickname. This nickname's too long, Daniel. Andrew, I reject that argument, gross. And my co-host, Daniel, I don't want to do that. Hargrove. <laughs> and for 
my co-host, Justin. <laughs> Get your stinky butt food out of here. <laughs> You've been listening to the scrimmage. I really want to 20 say. turnovers in the game for Stevenson here about midway through the third quarter. That's a lot. They're going with good analysis. <laughs> I really wanted to say stinky ass food. <laughs> and I decided at the last minute not to. You go with 